going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. If it were any other week, I would argue the headlines out of city council would be front and center. But because of everything going on provincially and everything going on federally, it's kind of faded into the background. And so I wanted to bring in Global News City Hall reporter Aurelio Perry to get a little bit of an update on everything. Aurelio, thanks for coming in studio today. Good to be with you, Joe. Let's go back to the start of the week. And a pretty big agenda was on that for council. And let's talk tax rates first, because this one was uh, has been talked about a lot with the especially the non-residential property tax rates. Uh, a lot of businesses saying, hey, the, the residents need to start shouldering some of the burden. What did they talk about? What was the tenor of the conversation? Well, the the question is... If we keep throwing one-time money at these non-residential taxes, well, the business taxes, um, is that going to solve the problem or are we just delaying the impact of this where they say that Calgary compared to other cities, the the ratio between residential, the homo, regular homeowners and business landowners, the ratio between what they pay is wider than other cities. So they're looking at how do we reduce that a bit and then get sort of cushion the blow for the homeowners so they don't, they don't get sticker shock right away. So the administration was recommending you do one time out of the so-called rainy day fund. And then over the next three years, you take out about $20 million and make the homeowners pay that amount. And that narrows that range and uh, helps deal with the gap. Because right now with the $44 million and that 1% one tax break that the non-res were getting, that would cap their increases at 10%. Because some of those guys were facing huge 30%, even mm. more than that. So that would cap it at 10%. Now they've gone forward and say, let's look at how do we narrow that a bit more. And you had Jody Gondek saying, well, let's... Instead of doing this $44 million and giving it to the non-residential, let's narrow that ratio right away, put it on the residential taxpayers, put it on the, I know it's confusing, non-residential, mm. residential. <laughs> let's, let's have homeowners pay more to deal with this gap. And then if we have one-time money and rebates, let's give it to the homeowners to cushion right. their blow because that will be quite a shock to them. Mm-hmm. It, what's the, the feeling in the room about that idea? And, and even beyond that, is is there a thought that we keep pushing the ball down the, the field for later on down the road for both residential and non-residential in terms of trying to figure out what the best rate is for everybody? So, yeah, this all came about because the downtown property values have just plummeted, yeah. like $14 billion over their past four or five years. So um, she's tossed this out, asked administration to take a look at it. There was also another one from Evan Woolley about taking, you know, finding $70 million to cushion that blow for non-residential property taxpayers. So that's a discussion that's going to come back on March the 18th that they're going to have. And so that's, you know, that's a problem that I don't think is going to get solved Mm -hmm. in the short term because of that dramatic drop and that this market value assessment you have, the city has this one, has this one pot of money. Right. And basically they have to get this one pot of money and if the downtown guys are paying a lot less, 
the other business owners or land, business landowners have to make up that difference. Right. Let's move on to Event Center, and we've got the BMO Center, we've got Arts Commons, and we've got a field house. Everybody's been talking about it the last few days in terms of, hey, what does this all have in store? And there's been even a couple councillors have reached out to me saying there's a lot of misinformation being tossed out there about from uh, some of their colleagues even about whether there's money that's attached to any of these projects, anything like that. So let's get the, the brass tacks first and foremost. What did they decide? with these four major projects? So they've basically, you could say they gave conditional approval to go forward with four projects. So from their meeting on Monday, they they voted 11 to 4 to conditionally approve the going ahead with these four major projects. Mm-hmm. But they don't have the money for these four. Right. So I'm, I'm expecting that you'll see is that uh, the BMO Center, they have... Um, a mechanism for funding from the province with the mm-hmm. extension of that CRL. Um, I think the city's found funding. They still need money from the provincial government for the BMO Center. The arena, we've they're in consultations, and eventually, pretty soon, they'll start to talk to the Flames. The Fieldhouse and Arts Commons, I don't think they have money. So what they've done is they've taken a look at all these reserve funds that they have. So if they've done projects and it's done... They may have some money left over. So mm-hmm. they're taking all this money and maybe putting it in one big pot right. and maybe going to draw it down from when they start to do these projects. But these projects have to, you know, they have to pass a, a test, I guess you right. could call it. And they don't go forward with these unless you have the money to do with them. That, mm-hmm. So that's why it's a conditional approval. Uh, you know, there were counselors, Evan Woolley, very vocal. He's deeply concerned about the city's liquidity. He says, yeah, this money is in some of these reserve funds, but we use that money to get interest income that goes into general revenues. So, you know, there was this whole thing was really framed. It got into quite the controversy Monday when they were in camera and all of a sudden they came back after just 45 minutes. and Which never happens. <laughs> no, and they came back to complain that... Um, Usually when they go behind camera, they go on and on, as you know, and uh, they were trying to stick to the rules where one person could, you, one person you could only talk once and right. five minutes was your limit. And they came back to open that up and Jeff Davison says, no, we should follow the rules. And then he was called disingenuous by the mayor mm-hmm. and then a bit of a fracas on that. But then, you know, guess what? They opened it up to allow for more time and speaking more than a little bit, and it was four hours later. (laughs) We're just made of time is what it amounts to. Well, I am curious, though, especially in in one of the questions that we got as we were talking about the the field house idea is, yeah, you're conditionally approving these, but at the same time, we don't have exact dollar figures anyways, right? And so the conditional approval is basically to say, let's get these things rolling, whether it's conversations with the Flames over an event center or even kind of moving the ball rolling on consult- public consultations with the, the field house to get an idea as to the scope of what the projects may end up looking like down the road. You know, yeah, they've trotted out a figure of $1.5 billion for all of these, but you don't know what is the actual city take because, as you mentioned, you know, they'll be negotiating with the Flames. Mm-hmm. So we know that building, they said, would be $600 million. Right. But... 
the city's not going to be on the hook for $600 million for that project. So you don't know how much they're going to have to pay for the field house. The BMO Center, you already know the province mm-hmm. is kicking in some. You're hoping that the federal government comes in maybe with a third of it. Arts Commons, you know, seems like that's a project that'll take some time. And some of these councillors are saying that, yes, we conditionally approved these, but this could be 10, 15 yeah. years away what you're going to probably see is a real push for the arena and the BMO Center, which would be the anchors of this Rivers District Master Plan, which then if you have those two, well, that should attract hopefully investors. Maybe you get a brand new hotel down in Mm. that Victoria Park. Uh, Another hotel, uh, maybe you get some more developments and those start to pay taxes that you can recoup the money. Yep, uh, exactly. It uh, really, oh, I appreciate this and providing a little bit of clarity because it's been kind of a busy week on the news front. Just a touch. We have that fr- uh, fresh mat of snow on the ground now. And so going into the weekend, I'm sure a lot of people have that idea of, hey, let's go out to the mountains or, hey, let's go to that outdoor skating rink or any other kind of outdoor activities. But it does come with a bit of a risk. And this time of year ends up getting a few more injuries out there. And uh, diving more into, the, into it was the Canadian Institute for Health Information diving into the numbers for 2018. And to give us a little bit more insight on that, he is the manager of clinical databases at the CIHI, Nicholas Najeko, joining us now on the program. Nicholas, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. When you dive through the numbers, what do you notice most or what sticks out most to you? So we look at this year's release on injury and trauma statistics. Uh, we know in the winter in particular, uh, falls on ice and falls in general are some of the most common reasons that we see hospitalizations and emergency department visits across the country and in Alberta. When it comes to the different sports, there's clearly going to be a, a few injuries, but uh, give us a little bit of an idea as to maybe some of the, the more injury-prone sports that we see across, uh, across the board. Sure. When we're looking at winter sports, we see skiing and snowboarding, ice skating, Hockey and snowmobiling is some of the most common causes of injury that we see in our hospitals. What's, uh, what are, do we have a breakdown in terms of some of the, the more prolific injuries? Is it broken bones? Is it scrapes and scratches? Is it concussions? I know it's been a big, uh, big issue as well. Or is this just a, a simply this is the number of people who, uh, who are hospitalized? Yeah, all of those are concerns, but definitely looking at some of these activities, we see fractures in the leg and ankle as some of the most common injuries that we're seeing in our hospitals and emergency departments. Fractures uh, in the lower arm, or sorry, in the forearm and the femur are also common injuries. And of course, head injuries, things like concussions and more serious brain injuries. Although more serious, they are a bit less common, so something to keep an eye on as well. I suppose a big part of it is, is especially with fractures, is they're almost tougher to deal with than an actual break in terms of uh, your, your recuperation. Yeah, that can definitely be the case. Sometimes it's just uh, avoiding the sport for a period of time and uh, making sure that you're, you're being safe and using all the right equipment out there. I think you segued really well into my next question, which is uh, what's the main takeaway that people should take as they uh, look through this this report? Yeah, so just following the advice of the literature and our public health officials, making sure that uh, they're doing everything they can to be safe out there and using the right equipment and making sure you have the right instruction and training and 
Uh, you can definitely be safe while using these sports, but uh, while taking part in these winter sports, but you also want to be cautious and understand that there that there are risks and potential for injury as well. And not just the sports aspect of things, but even just the fact that, I mean, we here in Calgary and southern Alberta got a, a fresh dump of snow just going outside, period. As it gets a little bit warmer, is going to be a little bit tricky for those who are even walking along sidewalks and that kind of thing. Yeah, falls on ice are, are definitely a concern, and uh, falls, as I mentioned, are one of the leading causes of injury uh, across Canada overall, and we do see some seasonality there. So when we come into the winter months, the number of hospitalizations and ED visits for falls that definitely increases, so something to keep an eye out for. From that point to that standpoint with the falls and that kind of thing, are we seeing any upticks? Are we seeing any any kinds of trends developing on that front? This is a pretty consistent trend that we've seen year over year. We do an annual report on our injury and trauma-related hospitalizations and emergency department visits, and falls continue to be one of the leading causes of injury year over year, so it's a continual trend. Any final thoughts on the report that you've uh, you've released earlier this week? Just encourage folks to have a look at our website at cihi.ca if they want to learn more about injury and trauma and other related uh, topics uh, through other reports on our website. Fantastic, Nicholas. Uh, I do appreciate the time and the insight into your report. Thank you so much for the time this afternoon. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Nicholas Najeko at the Canadian Institute for Health Information outlining some of the stats that they've released earlier this week around injuries this time of year. Be careful out there. It's slick. It's Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. how I love context and I love being able to give it to you because sometimes in the course of a five or six or eight minute news package, you don't get all of it because you want to play the full two minute answer to a question that was asked of our political leaders. And on this International Women's Day, both Alberta Premier Rachel Notley and opposition leader Jason Kenney are locking horns over the best way to recruit female political candidates. Both parties have worked to recruit more women on their nominee slates for the upcoming election. About half of Notley's 87 nominees are women, uh, matching the slate the party ran in 2015. About a third of the UCP candidates are also female. Notley says they set a goal of 50% because that's the best way to ensure women are represented in politics. Kenny says their female candidates had to run in nomination races like everyone else, but were given mentorship and other resources to put them on par with more seasoned candidates. Now, this all on the heels of what has been a busy day or so, on, especially on Twitter, because you know how that always goes. But Notley says Kenny showed a a level of condescension yesterday towards women when discussing female political candidates. Here's what she had to say on the topic. Well, as, I, as I'm sure some people know, but perhaps not everyone, uh, you know, yesterday, Mr. Kenny, in announcing the uh, policy piece that was uh, earlier talked about uh, today, um, sort of went off script and started talking about uh, women's skill set as far as it relates to their ability to be in politics. And it uh, unfortunately uh, revealed uh, what I would say is a kind of unprecedented level of condescension uh, in terms of what I've seen for at least the last couple of decades um, from uh, uh, key leaders in uh, our political world. And and he, of course, uh, suggested that uh, perhaps women weren't uh, strong tactical political um, analyst, I think was the phrase. I can't remember exactly what the phrase was, but something like that. And uh, I beg to differ and to point out uh, that our record would suggest that he is incorrect um, and that perhaps he should rethink his views of uh, the uh, added value of having women involved in politics. 
Now, she's right in one sense, and that when you watch the clip that is being played over and over again on social media, you go, man, oh man, that was about as messy of an answer as you could possibly get. And I was kind of sitting there going, man, we just the, the conservatives need to stick to their stick to their guns, stick to the the economy, and that's it. Stop talking about anything else. But then I went, you know what? No, on social media, you could. It's all about context, and sometimes it can be lost. And that's what the UCP says. Comments were part of a larger or longer explanation about the party's efforts to get more female candidates, and were taken out of context. So I've, we've been able to isolate the clip, and here's two minutes of Jason Kenney talking about the merits. You know, when I became leader of the opposition, I inherited a caucus that had only two women out of uh, 28 MLAs, which was unacceptable. And uh, that's why I put out an invitation and met with, with dozens of, of strong Alberta women, like uh, Lori and, and Carib with me here today. Uh, and I'm pleased to say, as, uh, in part as a result of those efforts, we had... Um, over 140 women seeking UCP nominations province-wide, and, and dozens have won those nominations, competitive, contested nominations. So uh, 38% of our new non-incumbent candidates are women, um, and uh, that, I think, is, is, uh, is a uh, str- strong sign of, uh, of uh, the progress we've made on this. Um, the, I'd, like, I'd like to... S- you know, the thing about us, we as conservatives, is we, we believe in, in equality of opportunity, not contrived equality of outcome. And we don't do quotas and set-asides. Uh, most the conservative women I know believe those things are kind of insulting and that people can and should win their nominations on their own merits. And, uh, the, however, I do recognize that women's, very typically women candidates for nominations are running for the first time and often running against guys who have been in politics for years or decades and have a network and understand tactical politics a little bit better than, than women who are, have been doing usually more useful things like professions and, and running businesses and, and, uh, and helping with, with families. And, and so there's, a, there's, a, there's, a skill, there's often an a advantage that some of the, the male candidates have we try to um, address that by encouraging uh, like-minded women to set up a group called uh, She Leads, which has been led by Rana Ambrose, and which uh, provided uh, training and, and other uh, practical support to new women candidates. So with 38% of our new candidates being women, I think that's a huge uh, progress, and uh, we'll continue in that direction. En français, je dirais que j'ai mis l'accent... There's the, the... He goes into the French answer afterwards, clearly... But there's the full context. Take it for what you will. From what I heard, it's not as scary. Because the clip that was isolated started as, we as conservatives believe this. So when you get the full context, you go, I get it. Are they where they want to be? Is one question that I, I think you could tell that at certain points, Jason Kenney realized that he was talking himself into a bit of a corner. You could tell he started to stutter a little bit. Take that for what, and I know some people are saying, oh, that's just him trying to, to, to hide the fact that he doesn't want women in his caucus. I don't believe that at all. He knows, just as well as anybody else knows, that we're stronger for the strongest candidates in every one of our races. In some case, and I, like I said, I think that he talked himself into a really bad corner, but I think he managed to get out of it when you hear the full context. Like I said, I think it's important for everybody to hear that.
wanted to uh, shed a little light on an event happening this weekend uh, in light of International Women's Day. And it's called Walk in Her Shoes Calgary. It's happening on Sunday over at the Calgary Zoo. And the hope is for to raise a little bit of awareness for women and girls in developing countries by walking in. They have average about 10,000 steps every day to collect the basics for their families, water, food, firewood. So it becomes a challenge to get an education or earn an income or do that kind of thing. So each year, care supporters in Canada, Australia, the U.S., U.K., Zambia, Jordan and Malawi walk those 10,000 steps in solidarity with these women, raising some money. And so we thought we'd bring in from the local group, Kenzie Weber. She's a volunteer. She also works with CARE to to, uh, put this all together. And Kenzie, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Oh, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about what's to come this weekend. So on Sunday, March 10th, between noon and 3, Care Walking Her Shoes is holding a wonderful event down at the Calgary Zoo. Um, You don't have to be there right at noon. It's kind of free-flowing where you get to walk around, get to be educated, and you're also helping uh, do some fundraising for us. When you talk about the education piece, what are you hoping to get across to those who are taking part? Um, We want to express and show them um, what's happening to women and uh, young girls in Africa and how they have to walk about six kilometers, which is why we ask you guys to walk the six kilometers over the day, um, that they have to go that far to get basic needs like fresh water, food, uh, firewood. And so while they're out walking, collecting the stuff to take care of their family, they're not being educated. They're not, you know, being able to earn kind of income and they're kind of losing their quality in these kind of countries. What got you interested in this? Um, so to be honest, when it started five years ago, I was uh, approached by uh, an old co-worker who knew that I was going back to school and I needed to get some volunteer work in order to finish my program. And they asked me to be a part of it. And I've just been doing it now for five years because I believe in it so much. Anything that has really taken you by surprise or anything that really opened your eyes to the world beyond what we have here in Canada? The difference um, that I can just go to my sink and let the water run and put, you know, till it gets cold enough and then I can get fresh water or people who have bottled water. We don't have to travel to go get, you know, clean water. We don't have to do these things. We, you know, turn up the heat when it's been minus 40 for us. (laughs) Those are the things that I, I really appreciate what we have. And so I want to kind of express and show that other places, you know, deserve this kind of treatment as well. What does it mean to you to see people and their eyes sort of not necessarily light up, but certainly be that much more, I guess, a light bulb goes on when you educate them, when you show them that world beyond our borders? I think one of our favorite things that we have, um, we like to give them experiences. So when you walk to the zoo, you're not just walking. We have different stations they can go visit. So one of the ones we have is um, you put baskets on your head and we put rice to kind of represent the water. And then we have you walk steps so you kind of get that experience of what these women have to do every day to get fresh water with these big kind of uh, baskets on their heads. Um, we also have the education where people get to, you know, we do face paintings. You get to learn different symbols and what they mean and represent to, you know, these women. Mm-hmm. From, a, from a standpoint of the education part, is there anything that you'd like people who are listening right now to take away from what you'll be showing off on Sunday? I think it's the idea um, 
if you want to make a difference and you don't know how to go about it, this is a really kind of a really easy way to kind of get started where you just go online, you register for $25, you get four tickets to the zoo. That includes like, in pricing into the zoo. Um, and then you get to go be with your family. You get to learn and educate. So it's not just going to do something better. You get to do it with your family. You get to share the experience with others. And I think, you know, just take a day. You get to help people. You get to be outside. It's just an all-around educational experience. Sounds like a great time. I'll post a link to the event uh, on my Twitter at Calgary today if you want to check it out. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon there, Kenzie. I do appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Kenzie Weber over at Walk in Her Shoes Calgary. The event again going on Sunday over at the Calgary Zoo. If you want to check it out, like I said, just posted that link up on uh, on my Twitter at Calgary today. Uh, really love being able to show a little bit of what's going on in our community. And so if you've got those different events or those different fundraisers, that kind of thing that are uh, that you think are, are worth the, the cause, definitely drop me a line. Uh, you can also go over to 770chqr.ca. You'll find my profile and everything. You can drop me an email uh, with any kind of info that you'd like to pass along and and even if you got an inspirational story to tell anything like that by all means i like spreading a little bit of happiness because i could talk politics all day but who really wants that thank you so much for downloading today's podcast do me a huge favor and leave a rating and a comment and you can always hit me up on twitter as well just follow me at calgary today